Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Good, Andy. Looking forward to some baseball, I think. You? Of course. I mean, such as it is. Yeah, I believe that's what they're going to call it over there on the north side. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm having cataract surgery on Tuesday. I think I mentioned this. To are you, you having them installed or removed? I'm having them. In, <laughs> I'm thinking of having them an extra layer installed yeah. right in time for the opener. Frank Swindell might look good through an extra layer of haze. Yeah. I am questioning my decision to do it so close to the beginning of the season. In fact, I uh, was originally planning on going to the opener and then decided not to because I don't know how I might react after 48 hours and it might not be in my best interest to have perfect vision on April 7th. So um, I just, I guess I was trying to be prudent and decided not to go to the opener pass up the opportunity and just try to get my eyes fixed and maybe not test them too much by exposing them to the Cubs so much. We'll see. So I don't want to be too negative. No, no. We're recording this on the 31st of March, the evening. And uh, on April 1st, April Fool's Day, perfect timing, uh, is the one-year anniversary of the uh, of the paywall going up on the Pointless Exercise newsletter. Of course, made it the quality went way up too. I would, right? I'm sure it did. Um, so for those of you who were an early subscriber, you're about to get renewed. You don't have to do anything other than make sure that your uh, credit card has not expired. And then yeah. just more hilarity, another year of hilarity will come your way. Make sure the funds are there. And for those of you for... who haven't subscribed, I mean, what the hell are you waiting for? Um, yeah, right? You can go to pointlessexercise.com. You can take care of that. So. All right, so uh, we're about to spin the wheel of crap. And, uh, before before we do, we I get. just yeah, I just want to kind of get, give a quick assessment because uh, last week it turned out to be a momentous week because um, you know in this silly exercise that we're we've been engaging in for over a year now, um, we're chronicling a 32 year period. Last week when we did 1980 and the uh, Bill Buckner, her, um, uh, Preston Gomez Cubs, that was our 16th episode. So we, we're halfway. Uh, yeah, I didn't recognize it at the time. We we we've uh, we're on the downslope now, and uh, so you know, if uh, in case you're curious, uh, folks, you can listen to any random season between 1979 and uh, 2011, or 1980 and 2011. Most of which are that, that have been you know, recorded or revolve around the 1990s. So if that's your thing, no shortage of it. And uh, but yeah, we'll we'll see where we go from here. But yeah, halfway through, just thought I'd mention it. All right, well here we go. And if you've missed any of the first 16, they're all still there for you. You can just uh, go to wherever your your fine podcast provider is, and they're easy to find on the Pointless Exercise uh, podcast feed. I find that if you're on Spotify and if you were to Google a season in which we did, and you just simply went in the search bar, 
1989 Cubs, this will be the first hit on Spotify because okay. there's just nobody else oh, putting well, out that kind of specific content. Yeah, well, I got pulled in with the Swedes. They make sure that the pointless exercise stuff go, goes right to the top. Uh-oh. That's all right. We're oh, used to this is... This this is actually this is an interesting one, and it's a it's a perfect season to have coming off of a work stoppage like we are Great right start. now, because it's the 1995 Cubs. The uh, well, I don't want to give away any. We'll let you start with your five facts, but for uh, sure. Well, I'll touch upon what you just said to make it relevant and topical to today. Um, late start to the season. Part of the reason why we wondered earlier how Brian McRae, Brian McRae uh, was was acquired on April 1st, which seemed awfully close to the beginning of the season, but it turned out it was still three weeks before the opener, which, fact number two, happened in Cincinnati. Cubs opening day starter in 1995 was Jim Bullinger, hey. uh, former, former closer. Uh, 1995 was also the year in which Joe Kamak and his nacho helmet that he wore to the plate when he batted hit his only career home run. Shout out to Chris Troja if he uh, happens to listen because he, Joe Kamak was one of Chris's favorite ball players. Uh, 1995 was also, I can't believe we're doing the season. It's also the year in which our future buddy John Murray got his ass kicked on the pitcher's mound at, uh, in late September, a uh, game against it's, the Astros. It's going to happen. Myers. It's going to, and it did happen, folks. And it was quite hysterical at the time. Um, other than that, 1995, the ultimate anomaly is that this is not a team that we actually, in in all earnestness, classify with not even just playoff teams, but contenders like the 2001 Cubs and the 2004 Cubs. And, the, of course, the playoff, the, the ones that broke through, like in 84, 89, 98. Uh, we don't classify this Cubs team as part of that just because it didn't feel like it the entire season. But believe it or not, this team was not el- eliminated from the playoffs until the penultimate day of the season. Um and it was thrilling because they had a late homestand. There was a seven-game homestand in which Frank Castillo almost threw uh, no hitter, and the Cubs just ran off a bunch of wins and were suddenly alive. Uh, it was all for naught and probably for the best because the 1995 Cubs, entertaining at times, uh, just like a lot of other Cub teams from the 90s, mediocrity by design, not very good. So this uh, 1995 was also the, the start of a new regime. True. Um, the uh, – the Cubs hired Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflut. No, um, they hired Ed Lynch to be the general manager. He got hired right after the. Uh, he got hired during the strike. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations, and then also hired during the strike, the manager Jim Riggleman. Our guy Riggs. That's coming right. Year of, one. Coming off a long stretch of bad with the Padres. But the yeah, Cubs it, saw it was something in there that they knew. It was uh, an interesting time in that period because we've hashed it over about how the Tribune uh, company, after they got rid of Dallas Green in 87, and then after Jim Fry just overextended himself in 91, set a course to shoot for the middle and really kind of um, maybe get lucky, which they did, you know, a couple times. 95 was almost one of them. Um, but even within then, they, they would make decisions like, 
fire Larry Himes after only two seasons. Uh, I mean, Larry was not disappointing the bottom line. He helped let Greg Maddox go and replace them with that whole coterie of, you know, mediocrity. Um, Himes kind of did his job somehow, but uh, did, did, was so awful in 94 that, you know, even you know, the tribute company decided, well, yeah, it's we can still do a little bit finer and then they brought in the sweater vested Andy McPhail yep. from Minnesota. Right, I guess I should have brought that up because that was the first that was it. He yeah, got hired he, he hired guy. Lynch. Lynch hired Riggleman all and it was a pro- it was pro- it was a promotion for McPhail who had uh accidentally uh presided over two World Series when accidentally and mystifyingly to his credit because he deserves very little especially for the eighty seven twins. Right. Ninety one some credit. He, Still that happens that was he had to make the the sweet music Frankie Viola trade, right? He had to get. That's right. Well, that's one though. He made that trade in 89 to sabotage the Cubs, his future employers to the Mets, but he got Kevin Tappany. Right, didn't he get, didn't he, didn't he, he got Frank and then he traded away Frank. I think both. Yes. Yeah, well, he acquired him and I don't even know if he, he would get credit for uh, cultivating a young Frank Viola in the twins farm system. If Viola was the ace of the 87 twins in which McPhail had sort of found himself in charge, even though he had little to do with all of those young players, but 91, oh, yeah, he made a few right. trades that were, no, would, he would have got, I always thought he, he's a fraud. Yeah. I wrote 30,000 words somewhere out in the, in the interwebs about, what an absolute fraud Andy McPhail was for the Twins. Yeah, McPhail was a 1981 draft pick of the. And I don't think McPhail came on uh, was named the general manager of the Twins till '84, late '84, sometime around when the Billy Gardner Twins flamed out. Um, he, but by '87, you had a team that won like what 87 games. I mean, I'm not looking at. I kind of had it in canon. I kind of had it down uh, pad at one point, but. Um, it was a team that he had absolutely little to do with. It was Viola who he didn't draft it. Bly Levin who, for whom he didn't trade. He didn't draft Kirby pocket, right? Per, Kirby was on the 87 twins. Herbeck was, you know, none of those guys. I don't think he did anything for the 87 twins and they weren't even that good, but then rode this hot streak, became the first dome team to, you know, make a world series and then become the first world series team to win a seven game series without winning a road game which they then repeated four years later when McPhail might be given credit for having acquired uh, future Cubs, Cubs, Kevin Tappany and Rick Aguilera for the aforementioned Frank Viola. And he did that in a season two years earlier in which the Cubs were trying to fend off the Mets turned out not to matter. McPhail's, you know, inadvertent attempts to sabotage the Cubs did not uh, yield fruit in 89. But, you know, in 91, he did make that trade. I don't know, was Dan, Dan Gladden was the 87. That might, might have been one of McPhail's 87 acquisitions. But 91, maybe a couple moves, but it was still just inertia, a little bit of luck. And I don't know. He proved basically without a doubt in his, what, 10-year, uh, 11-year run with the Cubs? He got a long run with the Cubs, even when he got demoted, as we talked about the general manager at one point. Uh, in that run, he pretty much demonstrated he didn't know what the fuck he's doing as far as just building a baseball team organizationally and at the major league level through trades. So, but he got his promotion based on those two aforementioned that I just discussed those ill gotten world championships and was able to step up when the Tribune company came around looking for the most milk toast motherfucker that might be around to carry out their mediocrity by design. He was the perfect, he was the, he's the avatar really. 
So did you know that so, Kirby Puckett and Lance Johnson were teammates at Triton College? I did not. I did not know that Lance Johnson played for Triton. I know Kirby did. Not only did they both play there, they played there together. Wow. Did you know that before tonight? Or, oh, or yeah, just... because uh, um, I would get regaled with – that's the same conference as Rock Valley College, and I would get regaled with stories of – the old baseball field, the one where you, the it sloped away and the, you, the right fielder would disappear if you were standing the on the Plains third. River. They would be like, they would just, guys would point like, oh, yeah, Kirby hit one th- there and yeah. there. The Displays River, that's not. That is, I think it's nearby. There's nearby something Triton. swampy. Yeah, well. I never I, went to Triton. My I only don't. experience with Triton was, oh, you're talking about. They were, they were at Rock Valley. They would point to places. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Well, I, I only that know That would have Triton. been about the time that, um noted Yankee wife swapper Fritz Peterson was managing, was the head coach of the Rock Valley college baseball. Team. Terrific. Yes. That, that's great. My only uh, experience with Triton was recent. I got both of my uh, COVID vaccination shots there mm-hmm. and passed by the very handsome looking Kirby pocket baseball field. Uh, I wonder, I wonder what Kirby... Lance got named after him. The ball bag. The one, I mean, one dog needs some respect. I got crap when I wrote that the Cubs have only had, um, one season of Bob Dernier, two seasons of Dexter Fowler, yeah. and two months of Kenny Lofton, and people are like, "What about what about Lance Johnson?" Like, well, I didn't. I don't feel like I accidentally left him off. We talked about the '98 Cubs. He came back late, but Brant Brown carried that team in center field. I, I I'm not dismissing the one dog's contribution to the Cubs. He did, you know, to some extent. Uh, aside from that, I never. I'm still reeling from the fact that I never knew Lance Johnson played at Triton. Is he a Chicago guy? Like, why would he? I mean, Kirby was. Kirby grew up in Cabrini Green. I'm just like Lance Johnson. I had no he idea just, that he had a, a Chicago connection. Let's look than, him up. Other than the one time that we got confused and saw that he was one of the league leaders. In no, he must be recruited he there. He, he went to high school in Cincinnati. Okay. But he played at Triton, and um, he was a 31st-round pick in 1982 out of Triton by the uh, Mariners. Kirby was a first-round pick out of uh, by the Twins. But not and by then, Andy McPhail, just for the record. Not and by then Andy one dog went... He transferred. Then he he didn't go pro. He went to uh, the University of South Alabama in Mobile. Is that where John Lester may have pitched? I want to say well, that sounds right. And then in 1984, yeah. he was a sixth round pick of the Cardinals. And he actually broke that. in with the Cardinals before he got traded to the White Sox. Who did he get traded from the Cardinals to the White Sox for? From when some corn pone former batting gloves donner. Oh, this is great. This corn. was. Um, uh, this would have been Ron. Was it Ranch? Did who took over for Hawk? What's the year? Hawk after Hawk was was it Ranch? Well, Hawk, uh, no, it whoever was, was it cleaning was up. It was Himes. It was Larry well, Himes. Right. Larry Himes was cleaning up the Detrius. He traded Jose De Leon to the Cardinals for Bobby Bonilla. This is the Bobby Bonilla trade. Well, it's the Bobby. That's how they got Jose. Hawk did that, and then Larry's Hawk, like, "All right, all right. He's like, just all right, to reiterate, we got to get Carlson." Hawk Harrison traded Bobby Bonilla for Jose De Leon. Yes. Who many people wouldn't know who Jose De Leon is. Okay. So then Himes said, all right, we got to get rid of Jose De Leon. Traded him to the Cardinals for Lance Johnson and current Cardinal announcer and one of the most annoying people in the world, Ricky Horton. So there the you lefty, go. the left-hander. I don't know. Right-handed, left-handed. He's an asshole. No matter what I remember Ricky right. Horton. I didn't know he was a Cardinal broadcaster. Oh, yeah. Got kind of a high pitched voice, which makes it even better. 
1995, I think best known for the the aggressive Ed Lynch. Do you remember the move he made when they were they were going for it? And this is the I believe yes. the last time these two teams have made a trade. Well, there were two. All right. Well, there there are two trades that I want to talk about, and I know the one you want to talk about, and that would be um, when Lynch dealt Mike Morgan, who had hitched his wagon to Greg Maddox and Star uh, a couple years earlier, and then it was just getting pummeled, and got Todd Zeal. Yes. Who homered? Who homered? In his first game as a Cub, in a game in which I was at, which I might want to share a quick anecdote, but maybe not now. But I was at Todd Zeal's first. Uh, First appearance was against the Dodgers, and Billy Ashley was the uh, Dodger left fielder. I'll just keep going here because uh, I got to tell you, I was watching the game on the day before on Friday at one of our quote unquote long lunches that sometimes me and my coworkers mm. would have. And, you know, it was a weekend series. So, of course, the Cubs are playing on a Friday afternoon. And I heard Steve Stone point out about how this young Dodger prospect, Billy Ashley, is a, has a lot of Dave Kingman in him. And I remembered that and said, oh, I'm going to the game the next day. Uh, went to the city that night, up all night, you know, probably like four hours of sleep because I'm 23 years old in 1995. Head up from UIC to Wrigleyville, get there super early or sitting in the seats, watching batting practice. And I am just riding Billy Ashley. I'm just calling him Albuquerque. Albuquerque Ashley, right? Billy Ashley proceeds to hit two home runs that day. Oh. So there you go. Yeah. So I felt that's how it works. Okay, so a, cu- a couple of things before we get to the other trade. A couple of things about the the Todd Zeal trade. Um, the Cubs had to give up three guys to get Todd Zeal. Not just Mike Morgan? Mike Morgan, and then the immortal Francisco Morales and Paul Torres. And they got Cash and Todd Zeal. Um, Zeal had been was famously a converted catcher who the Cardinals had moved to third base. They had then moved him to left field, and that's what he was going to play for the Cubs. And it lasted, what, like a week and a half, and he was back playing third base, which he was not really very good at. But, uh, yeah. Wither Steve Bouchel. Well, how can anybody replace Steve Bouchel? So I had asked, is that the last time that the Cubs and Cardinals have traded with each other? And it is not. You know, we talked about it, and, and you edified me on this. It's the uh, the Chris Carpenter, who's not that Chris Carpenter for Theo. No, I'm sorry. No, no that's a different one. That's, no, that's it, the Red that's, Sox. I'm confused. No, you're right. Never mind. So it's not a memorable there trade. There have actually though. been two trades between the teams since then, and they're both huge, earth-shattering trades, which I don't know why everyone doesn't remember them. Um, they both were uh, – well, the, the first one was a waiver trade, when you used to be able to do that. Um so clearly what happened was the Cubs waived the troll, Jeff Facero. Facero. And the Cardinals claimed him, and the Cubs, I guess, could have pulled him back. Instead, they worked out a deal where they, uh, the uh, Cardinals sent two guys, Jared Blasdell and Jason Carnuth, to the Cubs. And then on July 4, 2007, uh, the Cubs acquired John Nelson, as part of a conditional deal. In other words, I think it was basically, you have to take John Nelson, whoever that is. But more interesting than those two is, what do you think the last trade before the Todd Zeal trade was between the two teams? Bruce Suter and Leon Durham? Yes. They had gone 15 years between trades. Wow. Before they... uh, 
Wow. How many years here? All right. No. So since since Bruce Suter it was dealt for Leon Durham and uh, Ken Reitz and maybe Mike Tyson. No, Mike yeah, 15 years. Separately. All right. So since then, there's been the Todd Zeal trade and then these two in- insignificant trades yeah, since 1980. Went, right. They went from, uh, yeah, December to my, my birthday in 1980, my eighth birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday, Andy. Bruce Suter's gone. Bruce but Suter's you did get Leon Durham. For Leon Durham and Ken Reitz. Uh, before that, um, the, the year before, Ted Sizemore, uh, Donnie Moore to the Cardinals from Mike Tyson. Oh, and then in uh, 1977, after the season, Cubs traded Jerry Morales, Steve Swisher, and Cash to the Cardinals for Hector Cruz and Dave Rader. I remember Heidi Cruz. Not Doug Rader, Dave Rader. Right. I remember Heidi Cruz from he came around a second time in the early eighties and I believe he was Jose Cruz's brother. That Jose Cruz of the Astros, who was always considered the most underrated player in the league until everyone kept talking about it and then it couldn't be true anymore. The, these two teams traded all the time in the seventies. Until until the suitor trade. Actually in the sixties oh, there's a crap load in the sixties. Doesn't make any sense. I don't I like it now when they, they, I like it now when they won't even talk to each other, much less trade. I mean, that's crazy. By the way, um, Donnie Moore. I mean, I'm, we're going to bring him up not for reasons you might think. I'm going to bring him up to the extent that last week when we did the 1980 Cubs, I thought about this a little bit further. I'm I'm going to just go out on a limb and I, I put a little bit of money on it that. No team in history of baseball, in the history of baseball, has ever had one rotation, one pitching staff of as many guys who collectively over the course of the career would have had, would, have, would have as many saves as all of the members of the 1980 Cubs, which had was the only year in which Bruce Suter and Lee Smith intersected. But, of course, there was Donnie Moore, there was Bill Caudill, even Dennis Lampus. I didn't even mention, oh, probably because he wasn't on the 1980 Cubs, Donnie Moore. Never mind. Yeah, he but he also was a early era Cub who became a dominant closer until a certain day. Yeah, which ended with we haven't. Ta- we could talk talk about it. We talked nineteen eighty six. We haven't talked the eighty six Cubs. We could talk about the Bill Buckner in the World Series that year too. Yeah, it was a bad. Uh, it was a great. It was a great postseason. Head year for ex Cubs. I never great drew the season for Mike Royko's ex Cub factor. Theory. Right. One blew his brains out. The other is just haunted, like to comical proportions. Yeah, both dead now. They are. Um. So yeah. The, so what was the other trade that we remember from 1995? The other trade was when Ed Lynch did one of his few positive trades, and seemingly, absolutely, apparently, pantsed Bob Watson of the, also division rival Astros. And yet it didn't stop Bob Watson from himself getting promoted to become the Yankees general manager after that season and during the first World Series winner before himself being supplanted by Brian, uh, whatever his name is. It's Cashman. Yes. Um, but that trade was like, basically the, what the trade was, was the Cubs had Rick Wilkins. Who we've, we haven't done 1993. That's the Rick Wilkins year, but we've yeah. talked about Rick Wilkins, Bert, you know, came out as a rookie in 92, had a 30 Homer season, in 93, and then fell off the face of the earth. And in 95, uh, somewhere mid season, Ed Lynch convinced 
uh, Bob Watson to take Rick Wilkins for the, um, no pun intended, the serviceable Scott service, but also Luis Gonzalez pre-steroid. So it wasn't like, you know, the Cubs totally benefited from, but they totally made on that trade because I want to say Wilkins went on the DL right away. And I believe there might've been some news, you know, some, you know, Bob Watson may have made some noise about Ed Lynch fucking him over and not reporting injuries or I may have imagined that, or might have seen one of those things where, how did Rick Wilkins just go on the DL as soon as that trade happened? He and so he, he slipped on the people mover at uh, O'Hare <laughs> on his way on his way to the airplane. Right, Again, as, at least, as trade was already done. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Well, and like when you consider how the season ended, which we will get to folks because there was a, a last minute out of the blue pennant chase for a few days and it involved the Astros so I always feel like Jesus it would make Bob Watson look like an absolute asshole that got taken and yet again Bob Watson got promoted to be the Yankees general manager after the season. <laughs> I just, I just uh, if the Wikipedia page for the 95 Cubs somebody just kind of phoned in the notable transaction section um, they only have five of them and here they are <laughs> April 5th this is a, Brian McRae traded by the Royals to the Cubs for Derek Wallace and Gino Moronis. Who you can Would that be on. former former Cub first round pick Derek Wallace, yes. if I'm not mistaken? Gino Moronis, of course, Yacht Rock superstar. Wait, that's a different name. <laughs> How about this? May 24th, 1995, Felix Jose signed as a free agent by the Cubs. The Cubs? They had Felix Jose? And was <laughs> oh, Harry this, still this saying, gets, I want to call him Jose gets, Felix? It gets better. May 26th, Carl Tuffy Rhodes selected off of waivers by the Boston Red Sox from the Cubs. So that goes, there goes Tuffy. 13 months after his opener. Yeah. June 1st, 1995, Kerry Wood drafted in the first round with the fourth pick. Yeah, first pick of the McPhail era. And then this is the last one they list. June 1st, 1995, eight days after he was signed, Felix Jose released by the Chicago Cubs. So no mention of the zeal <laughs> no. trade or no, no so, zeal trade. No. And why are you looking at Wikipedia and not? Or just All I did, I Googled 1995 list. Cub trades and it popped up and I was like, Oh, here we go. This will help. And yeah, that, whoever was compiling that just got too depressed. There's no action. You gave up too soon. There were two big trades and I, you know, I mean, again, the, this team was not like a shitty team, but they were not good, but they, you know, had things bounce the right way. So all of those trades probably contributed to. Yeah, so the, yeah, the June 28th was the Rick Wilkins, the Astros for Luis Gonzalez and Scott Service. Um, let's see if we do the one. It's going to be one of those things where it's going to say, you know, Rick Wilkins player traded uh, from the Astros to the Cubs. And there's going to be a long gap without him actually playing. And then <laughs> so that came before the uh, the zeal trade or no, you already covered the zeal trade. So, so, here, so here's what happened. Uh, Bob Watson's full of shit. Um, he got traded on the 28th, June 30th. He pinch hit against the uh, Pirates in a 12 as, as an loss. Astro. We're talking about as Rick Wilkins. Astro. And then uh, he, he got four at-bats on July 1st. And then he didn't play again until September 9th. <laughs> so he missed two months right after. He played two games for the Astros five, and then was out for two five months. Five plate appearances. Yeah. They won the trade. 
Yes, that was one of Ed Lynch's rare victories, just like when he got John Lieber for Brand Brown. That's so this is one of those things. I, I, I won't be able to remember the specifics. I don't remember it happened in 95 or it happened. Service played, in. service played 96 and 7, right? And 98. He got the RBI in the Kevin Tappany game that, that Tapp couldn't hold up before Javi Lopez homered. So, yeah, he went all the way through 98. So, Cubs got their mileage out of that trade. Yeah. So for his, his lack of um, – it was not exactly an offensive force, no. um, but he did one of the most ridiculous things I think any baseball player has ever done. He got blown up at home plate by a runner. He he held onto the ball. He tagged him out, and then he's laying on the ground dead. And somebody yelled third, 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 and he popped up and threw a strike to third where he nailed a runner, and then he went on the disabled list with a separated right shoulder. He threw a guy out at third with a separated shoulder. Pretty good. Wisconsin guy, you know, hardy Midwestern folk. But he would eventually get, um, well, no, he didn't get replaced by Damian Miller. That was different. Um, after after Scotty, no, it was Benito Santiago. We haven't done the 99 Cubs. Wait, just you wait. Yeah. My, my favorite Damian Miller moment was not even when he was a Cub. It was. Um, Video game? Yeah, where he had, he, uh, because he was a scab, uh, he was not allowed to be in the game. He and Rick Reed. Um, he's a 2001 All-Star because he played for the Diamondbacks. And Bob Brenly put every one of his, or 2002 All-Star, Bob Brenly put every one of the 2001 Diamondbacks on the All-Star game. All-Star I didn't team, know that. And that's the All-Star game that, like, fucked up the All-Star. Yeah, the, the one that did, was in Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, so there's another reason there. why they wanted to have Damian Miller. So uh, my friend Charlie and I are there for the All-Star game, sitting in the right field bleachers at Miller Park. And these guys, about three rows in front of us, unfurled this bed sheet where they had hand-painted a Damian Miller rules sign on it. And it's like the scene in The Waterboy where they... <laughs> Bobby Boucher's mom puts his sheets up and there's piss stains all over it. Pretty pretty much what that pretty much exactly what that bed sheet looked like that had Damian Miller rules right. painted on it. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get a new bed sheet at Walmart. <laughs> you know, I guess just... you know, their you know, their mom is like, No, we're not you're not ruining a perfectly good one. Take that one. Right, right. It's in the closets for yeah. when grandma stays over. Yeah. <laughs> the rubber <Yeah>. sheet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, the uh, the Brian McRae trade, or the Brian McRae, the uh, Luis Gonzalez oh, trade basically opened up uh, left field for nobody. <laughs> Todd Zealand played. They had quite, a, quite an assortment of outfielders. I can't quite figure out. Yeah, all I can tell you when I think about the 95 Cubs was late start, just like this season, but not as late, three weeks uh, later. And that the Cubs were like rocking back and forth. Like there was a game in July that I was at where I first, you know, I saw Sean Dunstan hit a lead changing walk off Homer off of a former Cub. Heath Slocum. They, uh, they were like in it and it was a, you know, this is the, what's funny is this is the first year of the three, actually it's the second year of the three divisional, the, 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 the realigned playoff format. Right, like '94 is supposed to be the first year of the three divisions in each league, but they didn't have a playoff. So '95 was the first year that it happened. Just so turned out, as mediocre as mediocre as the Cubs were, had they been in the old 
seven six team National League two division format, they would have won the National League East. Wow. All of the teams that made the playoffs were in the old National League West. But doesn't mean that they're any good. But they weren't that shitty either. The Reds were like the team to beat that year. And in 95, you'll remember, too, is the summer in which a whole lot of like old and like obese people died in Chicago when the heat wave got like up to 120. And, you know, I think it was a coast to coast. I remember that was the weekend the Cubs and the Reds played uh, in July. It was in July. And I remember driving. I didn't have air conditioning in my car and I was driving to the Thursday night game, the day of the first day of all. You put your both feet up uh, above the dashboard and kicked the windshield out? I was shirtless, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I was shirtless, driving down Lakeshore Drive, (laughs) trying to get to a Cubs game. And And in that Cubs game. 78 Impala. Right. And it was the – and it was the, uh, I I think it was the first game after the All-Star break. It was against the Reds, I know. But in this game, and the Cubs were kind of alive, but the Reds were a pretty good team. In and they would, of course, uh, go to the playoffs before Reggie Sanders struck out like 25 times in the LDS and they got swept. But in this game, Turk Wendell was a starter for the Cubs. The game time temperature at 705 at night. I remember because they would they would announce it at Wrigley Field. They would, you know, everyone settled in. Game, you know, a national anthem has been sung. You know, the Cubs have taken the field. Pitchers made his warm ups, and then game time temperature, which they did every day. And it was a night game, and it was I think 104 degrees is what it said at seven o'clock at night. And of course, people were dying all across the city. And I'm watching Turk, Turk Wendell in a very huge series, you know, against the Reds, who were better. I believe the Cubs may have gotten swept. There's a four game series. But that was uh that's what Pat Hughes might call a turning point of the nineteen ninety five season. I didn't mean to just jump to mid July, Andy. There might be some April, May, June games that you would like to circle back to and revisit. But uh, you know, to fast forward a bit the Cubs, you know, as far as they're being in contention, that was an opportunity for them to make up some ground, and they completely didn't. Well, the um, we're talking about the the, the Cubs would have won would have won the, the old National League East that year. Yes, um, reminded me that just a couple of years before that, the last year of the two divisions, baseball. Remember, baseball had a realignment plan that would have put the Cubs and the Cardinals in the NL West. And the Cubs and Cardinals threw a royal fit, one of the few times the two teams agreed on something, and basically said, no, we're not going to fucking go. You can't make us. But so the, they, they were kind aligned. of the reason they ended up with the three divisions. They just threw everything. They said, all right, fine. We, got, we need to fix this. Here's how we're going to fix it. Because you're saying because of the Cubs Cardinals, they they they, they were they weren't insisting on a two division format. When no, the, the Cubs re- and the Cubs Cardinals, Cardinals said we were not going to put us in a in a whatever it would have been eight team NL West where we're going right. to have all those freaking West Coast games that our fans are going to sleep through. Right? No, we're not. Gonna I go. can't believe that would have even have been considered in in um, as opposed to uh, breaking it out to a three division format. At that point, because because when we grew up, the National League, both divisions had six teams. The American League teams had seven. It just seemed kind of nuts. Do you want to hear my you want to hear my theory that I just I just came up with about how the Todd Zeal trade actually was a horrible thing for the Cubs in the long term? Because that was a product of the um, 
of the Cardinals firing Joe Torre during the season. Oh, ushered in the Larusa era. And then they brought in Mike Jorgensen to finish yeah, to finish sucked. the season. Manager. Now, if Todd Zeal stays with the Cardinals and just you know lights it up, Mike Jorgensen is managing the Cardinals through all those glory years. There's no Mark McGuire and Dennis Eckersley never play for the Cardinals. Right, Tony Larusa is coaxed. The, to... Dave Man, McKay and his bag of needles never yeah, make it to yeah. St. Louis. This magical medicine cabinet, yeah. And it's all because the Cubs couldn't help themselves, and they took Todd Ze- superstar Todd Zeal off yep. their hands. I believe Todd Zeal, he's a UCLA grad. I believe he's married to an Olympic gymnast. Is that right? I believe Is so. it Nadia Komanicha? No, it's... Mary Lou Ratton? Is it Kiri... Um, um, it's Bart Connor. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Mitch Gaylord. Julianne McNamara. An American. Okay. Oh, she was a she just doesn't count. She was a rhythmic gymnast. With the oh rhythms God. and stuff. Right, right. She's got the scarves. She won a gold medal. Um, she won the first had... She won the she won the first gold medal ever in that ridiculous sport. So, so she's iconic. Married to a, just like Todd Hill. a gold medal winner. Well, but she herself not married Look to a gold her. glover, gold. I assume. Yeah, not married to Mary the Red. No. Well, you know, and Todd Zeal did not come back for the 1996 Cubs. There's a picture in, of her on a balance beam. They don't have her with a little ribbon. Anyway, that's, that's I think I've run out of Todd Zeal knowledge, knowing that he married Yeah, I, I've shared my story about being in his game and heckling Billy Ashley till it blew up in my face. Uh, I don't know if Todd Zeal did anything down the stretch, but... You know, anyway, he didn't do. Yeah, I said, he was okay. I, they gave I, up I nothing. Did, they gave up nothing to get him, and they pretty much got nothing when they got him. He see. Um, yeah. Mike Morgan was washed up, but actually, not so washed was, up. Actually, looking at, it, I don't think he was very good. Mike Morgan for was the Cubs, up, oh. but not so washed up that he didn't come back three. So years when later they got later. him, he was hitting two ninety one. He was three seventy eight on base, four fifty seven uh, slug, and uh, after he got to the Cubs. 227, 271, 371. He was bad. They let him go. He sucked. And the next year he signed with the um, he signed with the Phillies. And he hit 20 homers and drove in 89 runs. For the Phillies and the Orioles. So he must have got traded. Didn't he again. play with the Dodgers too later on? Yep, played with the Dodgers, the Marlins, the Rangers, the Mets. The Rockies, the Yankees, the Expos, and then he finished up with the Mets. Hmm. So he he played. He played sixteen seasons. Wow! For eleven teams. I want to say he was like a Rookie of the Year runner-up or something too when he first came up with the uh, Shipbirds. Uh, he finished uh, sixth in balloting in nineteen ninety. Rookie of the That's year. That's it. All right. That was um, the year David Justice and Mike Harkey would have been uh, runner up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Let's see here. I he, dare you. Correct. Correct me. Yes. He finished. Uh, oh, he finished sixth behind. Yes. The aforementioned David Justice, who won the award. And then former uh, Cubs, Delino DeShields, and Mike Harkey. Future Cub. Yeah. Well, Mike Harkey was a Cub because that was the third straight year that a Cub had been runner up for uh, rookie of the year. Grace in 88 and Dwight Smith in 89. And in between there, in between Delino and Harkey were Hell Morris and John Burkett. Well, you know, you can't win them all. 
quite a quite a, yeah. If you if you just look at the Cubs roster, their pitching staff and their lineup. Um, well, I already told you who their opening day starter was, yes, Jim Bollinger. So that doesn't, it doesn't we, bode well. We had a homer in his first uh, big league. Was it a bat? It was the first game. We've talked about it. No, it was it was yeah off of uh, Real Cormier. It was a bomb. I remember that. Yeah, in Bush Stadium. Yep. Uh, so here were the Cub regulars on your uh, your playoff contending, which is exact. This this team. Okay, what I'm about to read to you. This is what. Uh, Tom Ricketts wants Jed to build is the the twenty yes. the twenty first century version of this because you just stay close design. enough to pretend you're in the pennant race. Um, so obviously they had multiple catchers. Uh, Scott Service and Rick Wilkins played the most, traded for each other. Uh, Mark Grace with three twenty six in a really good year. It was um, it was Grace's second first or second best season. He was at his peak. Uh, as a cub and so, and Sammy had his second 30 30 season that year. The primary second baseman was Ray Sanchez. The primary shortstop was the return, uh, the returning legend, Sean Your guy. That's right. Sean did 296. How about that? Ha. He was actually, he was not returning. He's uh, oh, one of yet. the various trades. He was returning from a long, that's right. He's returning from putting the car seat, Trying to take the car seat out right. of his car. Right. He right. First full season. two discs and he missed a season and a half or some ridiculous And I amount. referenced the awesome lead-changing walk-off that he hit off a of Slocum that season, which totally happened sometime that summer. Uh, let's see. Third baseman, Todd Zeal. Um, and Steve Buschel. Steve Buschel. And then, of course, at the end of the season. Who am I missing? Ho-Ho. Howard Johnson. Oh, no, not the end of the season. He was there. All, I think it was beginning of the season, if anything. Oh, was it? So was, was the year that, before, was that, what was the year that was, was the year before when he showed up? Well, they no. got him off waivers. No, he was just, that was the one year he had one. He may have hit a walk-off homer for the Cubs that year, like in May or June. I don't think he was even on the team by the end of the year. He was at the end. You know, Hojo himself was a 30-30 guy with his teammate, Daryl oh, yeah, Strawberry. He, he must have got waived during, during spring training. Cubs signed him on April 13th. They did not um, – he was there all year. Yeah. He had play. one big homer for the 95 Cubs. Not, you know, not the guy that annoyed us as a Met in the 80s. No, he, he, of course, his real nickname was, of course, Hojo. And Harry, when he was a Met, would occasionally get very excited and call him Ho-Ho. Right. As as Ryan Sanderson was warming up. Yes. DraftKings, a casino queen sportsbook, is officially live with mobile sports betting in Illinois. Just in time – to get in on all the college basketball mania. Right now, new customers can bet $5 on any tournament team to win their game and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. Go down to Wrigley, sign up in front of the marquee. Go down to the UC, sign up in front of the Jordan statue. Go find a college campus and sign up on the quad. As long as you're in Illinois, you could sign up and bet from anywhere right from the palm of your hand. Head to the DraftKings the Casino Screen Sportsbook app now to check out all the great promotions and features, including same-game parlays. It's safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings the Casino Queen Sportsbook app now. Use promo code POINTLESS. Bet $5 on any college basketball team to win and get $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code POINTLESS this week at DraftKings the Casino Queen Sportsbook. 21 and older, Illinois only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 1-800-426-2537. See, this is where it's really hard. So, like, you look at it, like, okay, so, so, yeah, so, God, so, Bouchelle, Howard Johnson, and Todd Zeal playing third base for you. Left field was a pre-steroid. Ozzie Timmons, Scott Bullitt? Pre-steroid Louis Gonzalez for the first seven seven games. No, mid-season acquisition, because he was the other part of the Oh, that's right, that's right. He came in late. God, I'm struggling here. Um, it's all right, man. I got it down. I'm he hit, good. He, he, back my he hit 290. He was a serviceable player. 384 on base, 473 slug. Nothing like he would become, obviously, and for he, obvious um, reasons. But... He had a lot of power. Seven homers, 34 RBIs. Yeah, he was not a power hitter at the Cubs. <laughs> no. Uh, Brian McRae had a decent year in center field. It was his first year at the Cubs, and it was probably his best year, and he had two really good years with the Cubs, and then he sucked ass in 97. He arrived, and he was kind of what they needed. He had, like, that flair. He was the leadoff hitter, played a good center field. So I, a lot of love for Brian McRae in 95, a lot of hate for Brian McRae in 97. This was, um, this was Sammy's first 30 30 season? Is this second. Right? First oh, this was, was a 93. Yeah. Um, Sammy, 268, Still. 340, 500, pre steroids, 36 homers, 119 oh, RBIs. Now. Yeah, pretty good. And 34 he, stolen bases. Got caught seven times. That's not terrible. 34. No, pretty 41. good. It, well, he got criticized by San, Ron Santo yeah. on the air in September of 93. The first year he went 30-30 because that team will also very similar. By the way, I have to stop for a minute and say that we've done uh, seven years of the 1990s and outside of 1998, they've all been under 500. What's left besides 1990 are two rare 500 teams that didn't make the playoffs because 93 is the other one. But 93 is the other season in which Sosa did do 30-30. And that was the first time. And I remember in September, I was at Northern um, and he – listening to the game and he got caught stealing and the Cubs like in 95 were a 500 team. They weren't quite in it down the stretch and Santa was uh, tearing Sammy a new one. But what's interesting that in between those years, Sosa inexplicably, we just kind of discovered this. uh, We we brought it up in 94. He hit 300 in the strike shortened 94 season. And then it comes back in 95. So even before he became a really good all around hitter, like beginning in 96, which we talked about, we started laying off the outside pitch. He like already had with all of his raw talent, he had already produced some pretty significant things. And he was, he was far from what he would become. And I'm not even referring to any assistance he had. He wrote to his credit, he, you know, became a more patient hitter and like whatever, but yeah, 95 was his second 30, 30 season. He was still pretty damn young. So, well, you know, he was almost not a cub in 1995. Right. Red Sox. No, yes, he, had, was he had, um, he had signed a, he, he had been declared a free agent. And he signed with the Red Sox. And it, because his benefactor, Larry Himes, had already been launched, right? So he's thinking that might not have anything to do with it. But And so when the um, – how does this work? Because that was the year that now Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor saved baseball, right? By, forced, by saying that the owners had um, – well, it was unfair – negotiating practice, unfair labor practice. And she reinstituted the old CBA and told them, go negotiate a new one. When the old one went back in, 
a bunch of those guys, including Sammy, were not free agents anymore and had to go back to Wait. the their teams that they. That so you're saying current Justice uh, Sotomayor is a factor in Sammy's yes. staying with the Cubs in '95 and having a second 30-30 season. She ended, she ended the strike. And she put, they had to go back to the, they didn't have a labor agreement. So they had to go back to the last one that they had actually codified, which was the reason they were striking. And Sammy was one of those players who was now no longer a free agent. And so he had to keep his, his deal with the Red Sox was null and void. Okay. And he came back to the Cubs. There were other players. John Wetland signed with somebody. He, there were several players that. I'm going to, well, yeah, Wetland from the Expos to the Yankees, maybe. I'm going to say that that worked out to Sammy's advantage, by the way, before we get too far, because it seems that he made the most of his time in Chicago. The Red Sox lost three players because of this. They lost Kevin Apier, John Wetland, and Sammy Sosa. They all had to go back to the Royals, the Expos, and the Cubs. Wow. Well, the Royals were making big plans. The Royals made, not the Royals, the Red Sox were making good plans. They made the playoffs that year, and they got thumped by the uh, the rare 100-win Cleveland team that won 100 games. And you know, the 95 season was only, I want to say, 144-game season. I did, uh, by the way, I made a reference earlier to, in case anyone's interested in the actual flow of the season, there was one Pat Hughes turning point that I kind of, uh, talked over. I'm gonna I'm gonna insist we go back and I put the link in the in the chat to the baseball reference box score. But this was the day that the Cubs were actually only three games over. The Reds, I don't even know the Reds offhand had Pinella. Lou was their manager, so Lou's still in that dugout. I'm pretty sure, right? 1995, Lou Pinella, Reds manager. No, no, no. He was gone. He was he was in Seattle in '95. Never mind. But the Reds uh, were Davy uh, Johnson. Okay, so the Reds were yeah pretty much uh, kind of the odds-on favorite that year, and so I, I threw a game on there, and I already referenced driving to this game shirtless because it was historically hot. And sure enough, if you do scroll down, I'm not crazy. It was 103 degrees uh, at game time, but I apologize because the starting pitcher for the Cubs was not Turk Wendell. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. But Turk did pitch. With Steve Traxel. Yeah, which is what you want when it's 103 degrees um, at night. Well, I mean, the reason that you thought Traxel, or that Wendell started, was that Traxel went an inning a third, and Turk came in and pitched five innings. Yes, that's it. Right. I see that now, because I pulled it up myself. Just just for the record, go, going into this game, uh, the Cubs are four games over 500. Uh, the Reds were kind of far, far out in front. So it's kind of a long shot, but you know... We've talked about like 92 when Sosa homered off of Stan Belinda. We had faint hopes of a pennant fever in late July. You, you, you know, this is the, the the peak of mediocrity by design where like we're six years removed now from a playoff appearance. We're going to glom on to anything. And yeah, the Cubs might be, what is it? looks like about nine games behind the Reds, but they're over 500. It's in July. It's 100 degrees out. But you know what? There's a four-game series coming up. We can... Uh, we can really make some hay here, and so that's that's the setting for uh, the, the a, a day that is of course historic in Chicago annals because it was the the first day of the epic heat wave in 1995, and the Cubs played ball that night with the. So Reds. now, do you remember? Did you and the rest of the fans boo the second relief pitcher that the Reds used? 
I'm not looking at it, but was it Rob Dibble? No, it would have been it would have been Mike former giant Mike Jackson. You remember what he's because most famous for? Altering the end of Ryan Sandberg's career. So this 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 everything comes full circle on this podcast. So yes, Mike Jackson hit Ryan Sandberg in the hand in spring training in two years earlier, nineteen ninety three. And then um Sandberg made an abrupt retirement in nineteen ninety four, correct? Correct. Beginning of the season. And after then, having a season which he didn't have much power right. after the Jackson pitch. So then you remember the so the Cubs winning streak down toward the end of this season in ninety five, the one where they just which we'll get, get eliminated. Guess who went to a bunch of those games? Ryan Sandberg. Ryan Sandberg, and that's what made him want to come back. According to Barry Rosner, that's right. And the Cubs should have said thanks, but no. It, but of course, it didn't matter because they were going right? to sign the Beige. Everybody knows that was going to happen. That was always like the the that's the longest rumor ever. Is that was right? That they had they Is were the going to sign Craig Beige, and then they the, couldn't because they had to let Ryan Sandberg come back because they're the Cubs, and he's a legend. Earliest. And if he wants to come back, you got to let him come back. And nobody knows if that's really true. I'm sure the Cubs would have screwed it. Well, it wouldn't matter. It sounds like that's pretty hilarious. It sounds like the earliest days of the internet rumors. You're talking like well, just think how excited Chip Carey would have been if the Beige had but, been but, had been. But a Chip Cub. was not in Chicago no, yet. No, but though. he would have got there. And he, I mean, he yeah. he fell in love with the Beige just chatting with him around the batting cage. What nineteen times a year? Imagine if it was one hundred and sixty-two. It's a good point. He'd have left his imaginary wife and kids to run off with the Beige. There'd be no, there'd be no Kevin Biggio playing second base for the Blue Jays. K E V A N. Because Chip and Craig would be living on Fire Island. <laughs> I guess it adopted, I guess. So that 103 degree day, the Cubs end up losing the first three games of the se- of the series before salvaging one, but it's pretty much over. But hey, there's this new wild card thing, right? So they're not out of it, right? They're still. You know, things can happen. Things can work to their advantage as long as they sort of hover hover about. Because, again, like I said, remember, the Reds would have been in the old National League uh, West. Um, and I don't even know what were the ups and downs of the season, other than, like, like I remember seeing Todd Pratt also catch for the Cubs, and he was so awful as a hitter. I swear I never saw a major league hitter look absolutely so overmatched as I did uh, Todd Pratt in 95. Um, I remember Todd Pratt um, on third base when there was a wild pitch that he clearly was not going to be able to score on, and he ran anyway, and then he stopped, and then he fell down. It was kind of a mini Cal Daniels. Nice. And he just laid there like a slug. All right, so I got another – here's another what if. So what if – if the 95 Cubs start their winning streak a little bit earlier – then they edge out the Colorado Rockies Don for that wild card spot. Does that mean Don Baylor never manages the Cubs? Quite possibly. I mean, Baylor was uh, the original manager of the Colorado that means, Rockies. That means right? Joe Girardi never comes back. And it and then who is supposed to tell everybody that Daryl Kyle is dead? Right. That's true. This is why things happen the way they're supposed to. <laughs> Don't question it, people. Let's uh, 
I think it's probably a good time to jump. To, I, I can't think of any other games. Um, I mean, I referenced the Phillies game in June with Dunstan off, off of Slocum. You can look it up. It happened. It was also the same game in which Joe Kamak hit his own only career homer. But I think uh, it'd probably be worth it just to like jump to the end of the season because I remember – when we rolled into September and Harry and Steve were like, you know, I mean, I'm just looking here right now on September 1st, the Cubs were 59 and 58. They were 14 and a half games out of first. I don't know how close they were. They're they're in contention. And I remember as they kept pointing out that the Cubs had the season ending, I'm counting it now, six, seven, eight, 10 game homestand, which is pretty unique and unprecedented. And I remember like Stephen Harry coming into September, like we're like, well, we can kind of hang into it. And we get that, we get that 10 game homestand, you know, which of course in most years you're like, well, what the fuck? If, you, if you're that fucking bad and you're stumbling around, you can't even get 10 games over 500 by Labor Day. Like what is the fucking 10 game homestand at the end of the season going to do for you? And yet it kind of almost worked. And um, I'll just, Right. I mean, there's one game in that homestand that involves Frank Castillo that we've actually probably talked at length about in a previous podcast. But I guess to make sure we do it justice, we should mention that right. 1995 so was the, the year in which Frank Castillo threw a no hitter, almost yeah. a no hitter down the stretch of a, of a so-called pennant race. So the reason everybody was looking forward to the to the 10 game homestand was that the first seven games of that. Actually, it was more than that. They played. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, 11. Yeah, so 11 games. I forgot there's a game in October. The first seven games of it were against the two worst teams in the National League, the Pirates and the Cardinals. Which is, again, funny that you point out that this is a rare. Cardinals are absolute and pretty much. The Cubs lost yes. the first game of the homestand, but then they didn't lose again until the last two. They yeah, lost Nine-game winning streak? Denny Nagel beat them yeah. for the Pirates future 20 game winner. And then they didn't lose again until um, the Astros ended them on that last Saturday. And then they lost the last game of the season. It was, it was pretty exciting. Let me, let me just walk you through. So the first win is a Friday against Pittsburgh. Who cares? Kevin Foster. I'm glad we name checked him. Local guy, Evanston moment of silence. One of the many dead 95 Cubs. And maybe do we, should we do in uh, another in memoriam for all of the yeah. Cubs pitchers? We already mentioned, we have not mentioned the other two that have, well, of course, we're about to mention the one that's featured right here, the one hitter, but uh, I'm sorry, Jeremy Gonzalez was not on the 95 Cubs. He debuted in 97 is the one year in which all those three, uh, all those three played together. But Foster got the winning streak going against the Pirates. Bullinger gets the next one, and then they win some thrilling walk-off against the Pirates. Okay, so the the walk-off against the Pirates. The walk-off was a Brian McRae walk-off homer off Dan Maselli. But the Cubs also, that was in the 10th inning. The Cubs tied it with two outs in the ninth on a Scott Service single that scored Luis Gonzalez. Attaboy, Scott. How about this? It was a line drive to deep first base. I don't even picture what that would be. Um (laughs) I don't think Scotty was beating it out, so I don't know what happened. But it was not an error. It was a line drive to deep first base. In the um, ninth inning. Okay. Wow. So then now, uh, the next, Jose Hernandez the came game. up with a chance to win it in regulation, and he popped, out, Ho- to the, popped out to the oh, catch. it was Jose Hernandez. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then okay, Brian yeah. McRae hit, hit the walk of home run. So Dan Maselli gave up the lead in the ninth, and they made him stick around for the tenth. 
and he gave up the he gave up okay. the tie, and then he lost. That that's win number one. Next day, uh, Frank Castillo takes the mound. I go to the game uh, with uh, the seats that I sit in now, but at the time they were they were just gifted to me by my cousin. Yeah. But I think I told this story where it was it late looked, season. Looks and, like you weren't you weren't it wasn't crowded. No, we moved down from those seats in two oh four all the way to right behind the bullpen and I saw Turk Wendell and I asked Turk if I could have you know, I was just trying to I was just trying to I guess uh you know bond with Turk because he was an oddball eccentric. He would chew licorice. He would dip dirt supposedly. He would chew you know put you know dirt, not chew tobacco into his gum, uh, you know, chewing gum. And so uh, we were all nervous. We're like, we go down there, like in the sixth, seventh inning, we all know, know what's going on. I tap Turk on the shoulder and ask him for some, some of the dirt that I could maybe put myself. And even Turk thought I was a weirdo, but I was 23 and I was a little bit out of my mind. And Frank Castillo has taken a no hitter into the ninth inning. And I'm there at while this is happening. I should also say that we went to the Cubby Beer after the game. I'll tell you that the Detroit Lions pulled an upset in Monday Night Football against the San Francisco 49ers and George Seifert. All happened on the same day, folks. But still, it, it, and it was a nice night. I don't know what the weather was, but I recall it was a very pleasant uh, late September evening. Yes, I was looking at the, uh, at the lineup. For the Cardinals that day, Andy Bennis was the pitcher, right? Yeah. So Bernard Gilkey, the the guy who actually got fat. the only hit, yeah. Trip Cromer, <laughs> Ray Langford, Brian Jordan, John Mabry, David Bell, Scott Cooper, Danny Schaefer, and Alan Bennis. Future Cub John Mabry goes all the way back to 1995. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So with two outs. In the ninth, you guys were all standing up. It was a 2-2 pitch, and Bernard Gilkey tripled. The game's probably uh, remembered more fondly by all of the viewers at home, actually, because you might recall that Frank's uh, lovely young oh, bride, yeah. Tracy, was prominently featured uh, in Arnie Harris's production <laughs> during during the affairs of the Kind of like a Sarah Wood, wee! Very much so. And if you Google, I believe there's a there's some YouTube action. I'm sure if you could you you'll, you could track it down easily and, and post. I'm sure you you'll post it if you find it. But it's uh, there's a clip. I can't remember how condensed it is. It's not the full game, but it's out there. I remember uh, bemoaning my fate. I was a 23 year old heart sick Cubs fan who came so close to seeing a no hitter, talking to my brother who happened to be in attendance at Comiskey Park. In 1983, when Milt Wilcox had retired the first. Crap. When Milt Wilcox had uh, retired the first 26 White Sox until Jerry Hairston broke it up on the first pitch. And so my brother was quick to tell me, what are you feeling bad about yourself for? I was this close to a perfect game. Yeah. I'll never come that close. I'll never come that close again to witnessing. The odds are against it. You know, I know there's a baby that saw two perfect games in one year. One of them being uh Philip Humbers. The other is a uh, K rod. But if you come within one out of a no hitter and you don't see it, that's the closest you're going to get. I'm fine with that. I'm over it. 
Yes, good. I was in attendance. Yes, it does sound like it. Anyway, there's still a pennant race going on, right? We don't have time for no hitters. Well, that and... win got them to 500. 69 Yay. and 69. Nice. Yeah. And, and so, but they're, like I said, they're in content. So there's some real like slap fight taffy pull going on for the National League wild card in 1995. Like the Reds had run off the division. I think the, uh, the, the it was, it was the Rockies, as you already said, that ended up getting in, but I don't know uh, any specifics about the rest of the Cardinals games. But when things get memorable, and at least in my eye, I mean, you're welcome to look at uh, the, the other two Cardinals games, was the Houston series beginning with the Thursday game. Right. Well, so the Astros come in, and they have basically – they're just ahead of the Cubs. So they, they're they also with, they're also with, chasing with, the Rockies. So they have with, – uh, With a catcher in the press box, Rick Wilkins, <laughs> and the Cubs have two guys on the field – Right, I mean that's what it comes down to, Cubs and Astros, who made a trade with each other. Yeah, so the Astros had well, he's Rick's back, man. He came back for September, and he's oh, he's in this game. He's starting oh, these right. games. He was only on the DL from July first to September six. My bad. It is All funny right. though they they traded Luis Gonzalez away, and at least in this in the first game of the series, they started John Cangelosi in left field. <laughs> <laughs> They have former Cub Derek May in right. It's not a good Astros team. They got the Beige and Bagwell. Derek May, Dave Magadan's playing third base. James Mouton is there is playing the F. The other Brian Hunter, the skinny Brian Hunter, is playing center field. Uh, Craig Shipley's playing shortstop for him. Wow, um, that's a playoff team. But yeah, they come in. This the first game was a back and forth. Um, well, when you get to James Mouton's homer off to Randy, off of Randy Myers, that's when we'll have to stop and make a diversion, but oh, yes, because yes. it was James Mouton, former White Sox or future White Sox. I believe a former White Sox at that point, but nevertheless, this Thursday after, and the Cubs are basically, I want to say like the Cubs are not like about to be eliminated, but they're about to be eliminated. Like, like any loss is pretty much fatal. Right. And they somehow find themselves in this position. You know, they're over the euphoria of the Castillo near no hitter. And then they finish off a sweep of the shitty Cardinals. And, you know, all of a sudden they're like, Holy shit, Harry and Steve are right. This homestand's important. Let's just win every game. And this back and forth game, the Cubs, what they're up two nothing. They're up five to one. Six to five is tied six to six. They're up seven six. They're down eight to seven. They take the lead. He, I, I, one of the craziest line scores I have to say that you'll ever see as far as the back and forth. Just, you know, probably, you know, in reality, it's just two above average kind of shitty teams that just can't get out of their own way, it seems like. Yeah. So we get to the top of the eighth and it's, um, it's tied. Actually, the Cubs in the bottom of the seventh were down uh, seven to six, and uh, Scott Service tied the game with a sack fly. Once again, um, bigger hero than than we're recognizing. And Jose Hernandez came up with a chance to give him the lead. Um, 
with two on and two outs, and he struck out. God damn it, Jose. So they go to the top of the eighth tied at seven, and Turk is pitching. And uh, he gives up a single to the Beige. He strikes out Bagwell. And then uh, Jim Riggleman goes to work. The wheels are spinning. Randy Myers comes in for service. Mark Parent uh, goes in goes into the pitcher spot to catch. Backup catcher. Yeah. Um, and then uh, is this who's who's managing the Astros at this time? That would have been Larry Durker. No, uh, Terry Collins maybe. Okay. Was it Terry Collins? So he counters by pinch hitting Tony Eusebio for Derek May, and Randy says, Pff. and he gets uh, Tony to fly out. So two outs, runner on, and uh, he throws a pass ball. Biggio goes to second. Biggio steals third on the next pitch. And then James Mouton hits a two-run homer. That's certain to lose the game for the Cubs. Uh, Biggio scores, and Mouton scores. And uh, so then what happens? Season's over, and then all of a sudden some coked-up, drunk-ass <laughs> stockbroker <laughs> pops out of his box seats to challenge Randy Myers uh, to a fight and uh, proceeded to get absolutely mauled. Uh, said fella, don't mean to libel him, but like, hey, he might have even known up to it. Who knows? But uh, we got to know John and find out how truly obnoxious mm-hmm. he really was several years later, a decade later. But nevertheless, uh, in fact, he was quite embarrassed about this incident. was hoping that uh, all of us had sort of forgotten about it, but he was, there are some savants in the crowd. He's banned from Wrigley for life. Still. <laughs> so the the closest he could get in 2003 was the stupid it's going to happen signs that he, ubiquitous signs that he handed out that were all over. Um, yeah. I can't wait till he desperately sues me for like whatever meager uh, 401k savings I have. But yeah, he, he, he I mean, it was front page news. It was in, it was insane what happened here because in Randy Myers, right? I mean, I think you know more about this than I do. Was he like not like a black belt or like he was kind of a kind of a well, he kept a, he kept a grenade in his locker that people weren't one hundred percent sure was a was a, not live. Uh, when he got Murray in the headlock, Mark Grace came running in because he he really thought Randy was going to kill him. You know, he basically got in there to try to keep Randy from going to prison. Was the, they didn't care about John Murray. He was there to try to keep his closer uh, That's right. around. Yeah. Now, this so is the, not the same as they had Randy Meyer poster day. That was 93. Okay. And he blew a save yeah. and fans threw all the posters on the field. And his my brother, my was, brother claims to be the first one in the bleachers that his poster hit the ground first. Yeah. Randy said, if I'd have had my poster, I'd have thrown it on the field too. Correct. Randy Myers was awesome. He was awesome. I'm, yes, I'm, he was a great I'm happy to make I, a diversion. If he still this does, was, he coached girls basketball in the state of I remember Washington. You, you mentioned that. Uh, sadly, this was his last season, and he was a little bit out of gas, as evidenced by not being able to uh, put away James Mouton here before having to kick the shit out of a 160-pound stockbroker. But he uh, he would pitch for a few more years. I believe he appeared against the Cubs as a Padre in 98 down the stretch. But uh, – he came on board. He was one of the few bright spots in 93 when the Cubs got rid of Greg Maddox and then brought on this whole flat Sam of like, you know, Dan Plesak and Willie Wilson and Candy Maldonado and, uh, you know, Jose Guzman. But 
but for, for what it's worth, and you pointed this out, uh, Myers saved 53 games, set a National League mark that year, broke Bruce Suter's record, I want to say, from 84, um, and probably was the only significant real signing between that Jim Fry disaster of 91 with George Bell and Danny Jackson and Dave Smith and Alfonso Soriano in uh, 2007. Well, and Myers was mostly worth every penny. Yeah. Yeah, Randy, he left, he went to the Orioles. And he signed a big contract and um, pitched okay for the Orioles for a couple of years. And then they, I think, traded him to the Blue Jays. Okay. No, he was a free agent. He signed one more relatively big deal with the Blue Jays. Good for him. And in, and um, But in the year 2000, he was not great. And um, he must not have been that bad, though. The Padres were... In a, in what they felt was a pennant race against two thousand, sure. um, or sorry, ninety eight. So in ninety eight, yeah, ninety eight, yeah, that was uh, they they went to the series that year. Yeah, and I don't I don't remember off the top of my head who they were battling with, but the Blue Jays put Randy on waivers, and the Padres claimed him to block him from going to say the Dodgers. Dodgers probably. Maybe the Giants and Dusty. And the Blue Jays said, congratulations, you got Randy Myers and the rest of his contract. And the Padres were like, ah. And they nice. didn't want him, but they had him. So they paired him with Trevor Hoffman. Um, okay. Even though they didn't want to. They were just trying to keep him from. They thought that the Blue Jays would just pull him back. Um, he pitched in Backfire. 21 games for the Padres down the stretch. And he had an ERA of a cool 6.28. So, so, ba- so back to this game, though. Myers gives up the back-breaking homer and then has to beat the shit out of a drunk that storms the field. Yeah. But the game's not over. No, and he stays in and he pitches to Brian Hunter, who singles. So now the now the <coughs> Cubs are down nine seven. There's two outs in the eighth, but there's now and there's a runner on first. So they go to the great Terry Adams. He's got to save the day. Rookie, rookie that year came up that year, and so he's facing uh, our soon-to-be uh, Cub, Ricky Gutierrez. And he, Brian Hunter steals second. Then Terry throws the, there's a pass ball. Because um, who's catching now? It's, uh, oh, Mark Parent. That's the second, that's Mark Parent's second second brought, pass ball of the brought, inning. <laughs> Mark Good job, Mark. Like 38. Yeah, I think. doesn't bend at the waist or the knees. Uh, so now the runner's at third. But Terry rallies and he strikes out Ricky Gutierrez. Um, but but they're losing, right? right? They're they're down. All right. But you can't keep those ninety-five Cubs down. Mark Parent apparently in the game for his bat. He leads off the bottom of the eighth with a double. Uh, Brian McRae hits a. Now this must have been deep. He hits a fly ball to left and Parent advances to third. Then Ho Ho comes up and he gets a base hit. This is off Greg Swindell million-year-old Greg Swindell. Uh, he singles in parent. And then Mark Grace hits a double and scores Howard Johnson, and the game is tied. And the Astros have to bring in um, another future Cub, Dave Veers. But he gets out of it. Uh, it's nothing at Terry Adams, one, two, three in the ninth. Bottom of the ninth, uh, the Cubs don't really do any. Oh, Sean Dunstan gets a single, and then nothing. Zeal tries to bunt him. I guess he does sacrifice him. And then Hernandez, a parent, both strike out. 
in the top of the 10th. It's still tied at 9. And Mike Walker is pitching for the Cubs. And I couldn't pick Mike Walker out of a police lineup if I had to. But he comes in, and he's got to face, oh no, the Beige and Bagwell and Tony Eusebio. Uh, Beige doubles, Bagwell walks, Eusebio bunts Beige to third and Bagwell to second. And then it's the James Mouton game. He has the sack fly and uh, gives the um, Astros a 10-9 to lead. Brian Hunter flies out. So now we go to the bottom of the 10th, and oh, he's back. So we get to the bottom of the 10th. The Astros have just taken the lead on the James Mouton uh, sack fly. Here for the Scott Bullet reference, by the way. And Dave Veers is in. Future Cub. Regretfully. So the Cubs need to rally, or their playoff uh, hopes are gone. Brian McRae leads off with a single. Uh, Ho-Ho lines out to deep left field, says. Uh, Mark Grace singles, sends McRae to third. And Sammy Sosa ties the game with a sacrifice fly to center field. Attaboy, Sammy. Luis Gazelle strikes out. Mike Walker is staying in for his second inning of work. Still have no idea who Mike Walker was. I don't either. Maybe not a great uh, idea because Mike Brumley is pinch hitting Mike for Dave Brumley. Beers. He homers to give the Astros a can 11, I stop and 11 to 10 review, lead. Can I yes. just stop and reveal a trivia uh, answer? I had no idea Mike Brumley did that. And it's funny because I remember that game. I remember Scott Bullitt winning it. But Mike Brumley was the extra player involved in the Bill Buckner, Dennis Eckersley trade. Ooh. The Cubs, the Cubs acquired Mike Brumley uh, along with Eckersley. Cause everyone thought Eckersley was a washed up drunk and Buckner was still productive. And he never, he did. I don't think he, he did make it up for the Cubs in 86 along with Paul Noche. That was their middle infield. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No recollection Star that nine studded. years Eight years later, Mike Brumley would actually hit a back-breaking homer. I have no recollection of that. I'm going to, I'm going to presently install that into my uh, hard drive there, Andy, because that's that's nuts. So Brumley gives the Astros an 11 to 10 lead. Mike Walker still out there. He strikes out Craig Shipley, but he walks the great Andy Stankowitz. And so Riggleman is like, all right, I've probably pushed Mike Walker past the brink. And so who does he bring in out of the bullpen? He goes to his superstar reliever, Anthony Young. The holder of the all-time consecutive, uh, all-time record for consecutive losses by a pitcher. Yeah. Ay. Just, yep. And Ay, he's just going to take care of things. Uh, John Cangelosi is up. Stankowitz steals second. Doesn't bother Ay. He strikes out Cangelosi. Then he gets the beige to fly out to right field. So the Cubs are down eleven to ten. And who's pitching for the Astros? They bring in their closer, Todd Jones. Oh, future Cub. Actually, he would be their closer the subsequent opening day. No, that would be Doug Jones. Oh, my bad. I'm Todd forgot. was the burly guy who also pitched but for the They uh, both Tigers. had mustaches, yes. though, right? This All one right. threw a little my harder bad. than the other one. So Sean Dustin leads off with a single. He advances to second on a pass ball with Scott Bullitt at the plate. 
And Todd Jones can't get Scott Bullitt out. He singles to right. That, tie, that ties the game because Dunstan scores. Wrigley goes crazy. Uh, Riggleman, tired of watching Jose Hernandez strikes out, has him bunt, and he sacrifices Bullitt to second. And then proving that Jim Riggleman is a genius, the catcher that he brought in a few innings before, Mark Parent, gets his second big hit of the day, and he wins the game with a ground ball between second and short, which in today's game would have a, somebody standing right there. Scott Bullitt scores, and the Cubs win. And I think they're pulled within. Well, they so pull within one game of the Astros, who, and they're both chasing the Rockies. Well, meanwhile, that day in Colorado, two future Cub managers, Don Baylor and Dusty Baker, are going at it, and uh, the Rockies uh, give up five in the top of the ninth in in Denver, and lose ten to seven. And suddenly, the Rockies are seventy-five and sixty-seven at the end of this day. The uh, the so, Astros are seventy four and sixty seven. The Cubs are behind them both, but so the Cubs are what two out with three to play? Yes, the Astros are one out with three to play. That's it. Hoping the 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 Rockies can keep losing and the Cubs can keep beating the Astros. So what happens the next day? So that sets up another exciting game. This one is a pitching matchup of. Jamie Navarro, who's having a good year for the Cubs. He had two good years. He pitched two years for the – we've discussed it. He's pitched two – he pitched two years for the Cubs, and uh, probably two of his – outside of his 17-win uh, season for the Brewers in 92, the two best years of his career. You know, so, so I'll always remember Jaime finally. So he's going up against Mike Hampton, who has not yet left to go to Colorado because of the schools. It's funny because we already mentioned Denny Nagel, the other guy that went to the Rockies. And prove that, yeah, that doesn't work. You can't pitch that. Um, it is scoreless until the top of the sixth. When, let's see what happens at the top of the sixth. Uh, Jamie Navarro oh, pitched eight when, innings. Uh, future Cub player and coach, Dave Magadan, uh, drove in the first run of the game on a ground ball to second, which scored scrappy little Craig Biggio. And so the Astros are up one nothing. And then the Astros, uh, they get two more in the eighth when Milt Thompson drives in Derek May and Dave Magadan. Former Atlanta Brave and St. Louis Cardinal? Definitely Atlanta Brave, right? Milt Thompson, wow. He was a Philly, too. Philly, my bad. I don't think the Cardinals, but a Brave. I think he played for the Cardinals. Okay. Pretty sure. Pretty sure it's the first time Milt Thompson's name has come up. So... Cubs are down three nothing going to the bottom of the eighth. Surely they got to start their rally there, and Jim Riggleman pulls out all the stops. After Howard Johnson walks, he pinch hits Mark Parent for uh, Jamie Navarro, and Parent hits a two run over. No, he doesn't. He grounds into a double play, <laughs> and Brian McRae lines out. So we go to the ninth, still down three nothing. Turk is in, he gets himself in a little bit of a mess. Um, Larry Cassian has to come in and try to get his get him out of it. Actually, how about this? This is some this is some managing here, uh, with the B with um, oh, Mark Parent. I guess I have to, I'm we'll have to just have to walk through this. So Brian Hunter uh, grounds out to start the inning. Then the Bees walks. Bagwell strikes out swinging. So now they're in good shape. Derek May is up. Former Cub Derek May. 
Yes. And um, the Beige is, is caught stealing, but there he's safe on an E3, so an error on Grace. Unless the guy I'm in a rundown, threw it away. Bijou ends up on third. How is he considered caught stealing? Okay, whatever. Well, if you were going to be out, if the error is the reason you were safe, you you get You're a caught stealing. Considered caught stealing? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, you don't get a successful you, caught stealing. Thank you, Beloit Snapper's official score. Yes, but it, apparently it was so they ended up giving up two bases on the error because he ended up at third. Oh my god! But this is where the magic gets good. Riggleman goes out, but he's going to have Larry Cassian face Derek May. But the manager for the Astros, who could be Terry Collins, we're not sure. Um, I'll find out. He sends up James Mouton, the Cubs' nemesis. So what does Jim Riggleman do? He has Larry Cassian intentionally walk James Mouton, then he takes him out. (laughs) Good job. Dave Schwartzbaugh comes in, of course, to face Mike Sims. I know that sounds made up, kids, but Dave Schwartzbaugh was a real Cubs pitcher. And he gets Mike Sims to ground out. So keeps the lead at three. Or the deficit is at three runs, and Mike Hampton. Hampton's going to go the distance. So, so picture this, kid. This is pretty thrilling. Cubs season is about to end. Yeah, if the Cubs it's do the, not rally. They are eliminated. Season's over. Literally, mathematically, their backs are against the wall, and you can't hold down the 1995 Cubs. Fuck uh, no. Hampton gets Jose to, Jose Hernandez grounds out short, but then Grace singles. So they have to go pull Mike Hampton. And they go to Mike Henneman. Oh, the other Detroit Tiger former Tiger closer. closer, Instead of going to their future Tiger closer, or Todd Jones. Todd Jones. So he's going to face Sammy. And Sammy singles to center, takes Grace to third. So runners to first and third. Grace goes to first to third with only one out. Must either a soft hit single or Grace was uh, had quit smoking for a while. Dunstan comes up with. Runners to first and second? Is that right? First and third. First and third. Grace went to third. Oh, Grace went to third. Right. Um, so first and third, Sean Dunstan. He singles to left. Grace scores. Sammy stops at second. Ozzie Timmons is due up, but uh, Riggleman sends up Luis Gonzalez instead. And he, thanks to his, you know, the big muscles he's already starting to build, uh, he reaches on a what they describe as a ground ball to weak shortstop second base. To load the bases. Mick Kelleher was in this game? Weak <laughs> shortstop? Yep. Sorry. So with the bases loaded, Luis Gonzalez has gotten a hit, and now the Astros are about to face the other guy that they gave up in the trade. Scott Service is up. With the bases loaded, down by down by two runs. He grounds out third to second. So uh, Sosa scores from third. Dunstan goes to third. Uh, Gonzalez is out going to second, and Service is safe at first. So clearly, Scott Service legged it out, beat out a double play to save the season. (laughs) One hell of a softly hit. But right, the season could have ended on that. Absolutely correct, right? It's the the end of the game. So Howard Johnson's up, and he walks. That puts... uh, So bases are loaded again. And... Scott Service or uh, Scott Bullet. I'm, I'm confusing my Scots. Yeah, he comes up. He's got a chance uh, to win the game, and he doesn't win it. But he ties it with a. He draws a four-pitch walk 
off Four of whoever pitches. Dean Hartgraves is. That ties the game. Doug Brokale comes in and gets Brian McRae to strike out. And that ends up. But the Cubs have rallied for three runs on four whoever, hits. Whoever Dean Hartgrave is, sounds like a talk show host. He came in for one batter, and he threw four balls, and then he left. Just pointed that out. Because he, he was relieved as soon as he walked bullet. So, so now it's all exciting. We're tied at three. We're going to the extra innings again. And Mike Perez is in a pitch for the Cubs. First name check for Mike Perez. I remember Mike Perez being pretty effective on the 95 Cubs. He was in a former Cardinal, kind of a veteran reliever by then. Actually, I want to say he had a nice year. As uh, demonstrated by his performance in the top of the 10th. Yep. He gets Tony Eusebio to strike out. He hits Mel Thompson with a pitch. But then Thompson gets caught trying to steal second. And then uh, Ricky Gutierrez flies out. So we go to the bottom of the 10th. That's got to be a misprint. Jose Hernandez walked. He did something good prior to 1998. Mark Grace singled, and Jose goes to third. They intentionally walk Sammy to load the bases. And Sean Dustin comes up, and Sean's going to win the game, uh, but he hits a ground ball to second base, and the Beach God throws. God damn it, Sean. Beach throws Jose Hernandez out at the plate. But that just prolongs the agony for the Astros because Luis Gonzalez hits a roller between first and second. Mark Gray scores. Cubs win, Cubs win, Cubs win. So it looks even worse for Bob Watson. Like he's watching the left fielder. Yeah. Who'd you say? Who is the Astros left fielder in this game? It was. Because uh, uh, you. Well, it was Derek uh, May. John Cangelosi no, started the day four. before. Right, and that was Derek May, a former Cub. Yes. You're telling me Luis Gonzalez was that expendable, that that's what you got? And when you need to, like, catch up with Colorado. By the way, like, Houston's not looking to be eliminated or clinch anything. They're trying to keep up with Colorado. It's the Cubs that are creeping into the picture with each victory. And now, now with the second consecutive walk-off, thanks to former Astro Luis Gonzalez, uh, the Cubs are they're still a game behind Houston, but now they're, you know, and then again that day because uh, Colorado had lost the day before. Later on, because this was a Friday afternoon game, the Rockies lose again to the to the to the Giants. So now it's a free for all. Yeah. So with two games to go in this in this season, the wild card is down to three. There's one game separating three teams. The Cubs and Astros are tied one game behind the Rockies. And I went to this game, just so you know. I went to about 20 games that year because I had just graduated from Northern. I was casually employed and somehow found a way to go to a shitload of games. By the way, I'm just going to say this is coming out of the strike in 94. It's a weird point in history from a consumer uh, perspective. Tickets for the longest time that summer were way below face, like way below. Maybe that's going on now. I don't know. But I remember because I was a poor postgraduate, like had hardly any, couldn't have two nickels to rub together, uh, how much I was able to leverage my economic disadvantage to still get into Wrigley Field over 20 times that summer. So, but I do. There was some effects from the strike that affected the economy of of the tickets. Well, so as you would so this is a match. This is Shane Reynolds against Frank Castillo. Now Frank is coming off his near no hitter. Correct. So you're thinking, oh, we got this in the bag. He's going to be awesome, right? 
And I'm like a Frank Castillo roadie. It's my second consecutive game, and there's my guy on the mound. Yeah. And as now that we're older and wiser, you would immediately look at this and go, oh, well, he's going to get lit up in this one. Cause <laughs> he did, too. He pitched a lot longer than he normally did last time and didn't even get the no-hitter. And he gave up six runs on six hits with four walks in three and a third. <laughs> and when he left the Cubs, he left the Cubs in a four-one uh, hole. And Anthony Young had to come in and try to patch things up. It was over. It was well, fun it while it lasted. It wasn't over because down three-one in the bottom of the third, the Cubs rallied for five runs off Shane Reynolds. I don't remember that. I, again, I was drinking a lot. I was 23. Okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at it actually, now. Actually, no, Holy this shit. is before. Sorry, I'm, my math is terrible. Frank's still in. Uh, they were down 3-1, and they give him the lead. They put what him up. happened in that third inning? There's some heroics going on. Uh, third inning, I'll see. Uh, Frank Grace walks. Sosa, Dunstan service. Frank walks to lead off the inning. Um, Ho-Ho you know, reaches on a... Uh, well, Brian McCray grounds out to first, but Frank goes to second. Uh, Ho-Ho grounds out to the pitcher. That gets Frank to third. Grace drives him in with a single. Sammy drives in Grace with a triple. Luis Gonzalez walks. Dunstan singles. That scores Sammy. And then um, Scott Service reaches on an E6 that scores... To a uh, future Cobb Ricky Gutierrez, by the way. That scores Gonzalez. So now the Cubs are up. I think um, I was probably already blacked out at this point. Six to four. I think of the early lead. But yep. I, was, I was in the left center bleachers, by the way. Okay, so you have a double two Shane Reynolds to lead off that inning, which is not good. And, uh, <sighs> Biggio, Biggio drove in from the game uh, with a single. Anthony Young came in. He gave up another run before he finally got out of it. So it was tied at six after after four. Uh, the Astros got a couple off of Turk in the fifth. Uh, Cubs got one back. Uh, Dunstan doubled in Luis Gonzalez. Sean had a good week. Uh, yeah, he did. Coming down the stretch. Uh, Cubs are battling, though. Cubs tied it in the sixth on a on a grace double that scored Brian McRae. This is off of Greg Swindell, pitching out of the bullpen. The aforementioned Mike Perez came in in the seventh. Uh, he gave up a RBI single to John Cangelosi to give the Astros the lead back. And nobody scored after that. So who knew? John Cangelosi ended the Cubs season with an RBI single in the seventh inning of the second-to-last game of the season. It's a lot closer than I imagined. It wouldn't have mattered, though, because uh, in Colorado... No, actually, no, the Rockies still lost. No, no the Rockies won, won. had to won the last two because they ended up with 77 wins. Right. So it yeah, didn't matter. The Astros and Cubs, they... But still, as a 23-year-old that had, had like a, a very limited taste of success in 84 and 89, and even that 92 period that we talked about when Mike Royko made fun of all of us when, when the Cubs swept the Pirates in late July, he's like, you just want a taste of that. And it's like, hey, going to the park... That Saturday, I'm a 23-year-old, like I said, a fresh college graduate. Can't scrape two nickels together, but somehow I'm going to be in the third row of the bleachers in left field. And the fucking A, the Cubs are alive, and there are two games left in the season. It doesn't make any sense because it's not a good team, but it happened. They 
were they were there uh, within 48 hours of the end of the regular season. Um, so it's kind of a novelty, you know, because I harbor no illusions about the quality of the 1995 Cubs. Well, and it, clearly, because the Cubs rode that momentum into excellence in 96 and 97. Yes. 96, yes. they won about the same amount of games, except they had to play yeah. a full season that time, so that wasn't so good. They only played 144 games in 95, where they won, and they won 76 games the next year. And then, of course, the 97 season was just a season from hell. Right. And that begat the uh, ridiculous 1998 Cubs. Right. It went back and forth. It fluctuated because, again, from the management perspective, they were they were not striving to compete. No, they just weren't like building. That. They were just pa- they just every year they patched the roster. Right. They never built they never anything. Paint. Right, they never tanked. They had, like we said, they, they had their marquee stars. This team had Grace and Sosa. Sandberg would come back, although he'd be old. Uh, they always had like two or three bankable stars, or what have you. And they didn't really necessarily. They had teams that were on paper not shitty, but if things go sideways, they will be. And if things break the right way, you could be some paper tiger that actually, you know, thinks you have a shot. The 95 Cubs absolutely typify that in my book because I don't consider them a real a contender. Like I said at the beginning, uh, even aside from the teams that did make the postseason, there were a couple that were good and didn't make it but were legit. Uh, this team came This team came closer to the playoffs than the 2004 Cubs. And we'll talk about the 2004 Cubs, but that was a, a far more legitimate on paper, yeah, that was a, a far more that, legitimate playoff team. That was, yeah, that was a that was an actual good and, team. And and, 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 they, and they and they were eliminated by that Friday. They, they evaporated so fast. Yeah. They were gone. This team was actually not dead until it still blows me away until the second to last day of the season. Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't mean that they're good. Just one of those things. So one it's of the things that, funny to know. One of the things that jumps out if you, when you look at the pitching stats is that. Their five-man rotation was Jamie Navarro, Frank Castillo, Kevin Foster, Steve Traxel, and Jim Bullinger. They, they, uh, the, the first four all made uh, at least 28 starts. 29, 29, 28, 29. Bullinger made 24 starts. Only two other guys on the team made starts. Anthony Young got one, and Mike Morgan made four before they said, all right, that's... Uh, right. That's enough of that. Although Morgan that. was two and one with a two nineteen ERA, it only oh, nineteen so hits in twenty four innings. Selling high. Yeah. That's almost the uh, nineteen ninety five uh, equivalent of the nineteen eighty Cubs having only twelve pitchers total on their on their yes. roster. So four of the five starters won won double digits. Uh, Navarro was fourteen and six. Castillo That's eleven and ten. Right. Foster twelve and eleven, and Bollinger twelve and eight. Uh, Traxel. It was a uh, an odd numbered year, so he Correct. was bad. It was his first shitty year. Right? Seven and thirteen with a five fifteen ERA. This was the year after he won the bullshit mythical rookie pitcher of the year as awarded by the Sporting News, and then he sucked, and then he was an All Star in ninety six, and then he sucked in ninety seven. Yeah, so on and so forth. But yeah, so the primary relievers were uh, Turk. No, Mike, per- Mike Perez pitched in sixty-eight games. Turk forty-three. Mike Walker. I don't remember. I just I can't picture Mike I, Walker I if vaguely, he made me. Now that, now that you mention it, I, I vaguely recall. He pitched, it. He pitched in forty-two games. Larry Cassian no. was their, their lefty. Ter- he pitched in forty-two. Ter- he had a one ninety-three Ter- ERA. 
Wow. Larry Cassian did. He I, pitched. I how about this? This is a perfect lefty. 55. He pitched 42 games. He threw 23 innings. Jesus Christ. Of course, that one, he didn't Who? throw any innings. He came in and only got a face. He intentionally walked. So. Right, the Astros game. Uh, Terry Adams made his debut in 95 in Dodger Stadium, I want to say, in July of that year. And I remember he kind of like came out of nowhere, and we had our, we had high hopes. We were already planning for Randy Myers' successor. And my Terry Adams was on the team as late as 98, 99. And he just, just, you know, he would show flashes, but ultimately just very frustrating, very uh, frustrating to watch. Andy, Andy McPhail knew he used his deep knowledge of the twins organization. And he, he brought in a former twin top prospect, Willie Banks. And Willie pitched in 10 games for the Cubs and his ERA was only 15.43. Oddly enough, Willie Banks was actually brought in the year before by Larry Himes, believe oh. it or not, because he almost threw a no-hitter himself oh, yeah, on there is. The Memorial Day. Yeah, he yeah, almost he threw a no-hitter. starts in 94. He, he, was, he, he, he himself came within about seven or eight outs of a no-hitter on Memorial Day, 1994. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that when, we, uh, when the wheel fell on 1994. To be honest with you, I may have mentioned it. Willie Banks, Willie Banks pitched. He made so Willie Banks made 15 starts in 1995. Okay, none of none of them for the Cubs. He started six for the Dodgers and nine for the Marlins. So he had he was well traveled that year. Uh, the handsome Rich Garces pitched for the Cubs. Uh, he would end up being the handsome. A, he would end up being a useful reliever at times for the Red Sox. What? Well, he was useful also at Wrigley Field because he could wear a white shirt and stand in front of the 400 sign in center field and turn around, and they could watch a movie off his back. Because yeah. wasn't Rich Garces inordinately large? He was a big boy, yeah. I'm not trying to fat shame. I'm just what sprung to mind. Uh, he Cubs must have tried to sneak him through waivers on August 9th, and the Marlins snagged him. And was then he, he not up- in the f- – Sorry. Was, was he, he not an effective reliever for the Red Sox after, or before, or after this? He, he was kind of an effective reliever for after, Boston. No, Rich was pretty yeah. good. In fact, he had one great year. He was, um, he had a 155 ERA in 1999 for the Red Sox. Yeah, he pitched a long time. He pitched seven. He pitched. He bounced around until he got to the Red Sox. He pitched his last seven years for them with a 378 ERA out of the bullpen. And damn, yeah, he was El. He was El Wapo. He was the handsome. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Jose Hernandez played 93 games for the Cubs. He played all those games down. He was starting all those games down the stretch. It was his second season with the Cubs. It was also Steve Buschel's last season with the Cubs, as evidenced by the fact that the Cubs were pushing him out with the acquisition of Todd Zeal. Cubs emptied out their farm system to try to patch left field. Ozzie Timmons, Scott Bullitt, Kevin Roberson all played out there. Tuffy yep. Rhodes, of course, as we found out, he finished his um, Cubs career that season. Um, <laughs> Kurt Russell's nephew? Is that who Matt, is that Matt Franco's relationship to Kurt Russell? I can never remember. Is that right? Matt Franco yeah. was on the 95 Cubs? Yes. Oh, I gotta recalibrate that. I mentioned Todd Pet, uh, Todd Pratt, Joe Kamak, Grace. I'm just thinking yep. off the top of my head. He is the son of Larry Franco and Jill Russell. Jill is the sister of Kurt Russell, the actor. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Matt had more of a uh, of a career with the Mets, right? With the Mets. Yes. 
How did he get um, We've mentioned Jim Riggleman. We've got the McPhail era. I'm pretty sure. Man, Franco was traded got... traded by the Cubs to the Mets for a player named later. That player named later was not him. It was Chris DeWitt. Oh, uh, Joyce DeWitt's brother, which by extension would make him Blake DeWitt's brother, right? Yeah, something like that. According to Bruce Miles. Yeah, he only played. Matt only played 16 games for the Cubs. And then he played uh, five years for... Five years for the Mets, two years with the Braves. He was a seventh-round draft pick of the Cubs at a Westlake High School in Thousand Oaks, California, 1987. Oh, Dallas Green's last draft. Once again, I mean, how many career at-bats did Matt Franco have? Can you tell me? Can you can we can we detour for a second, Andy, and just he had uh, my curiosity. Nine hundred and seventy-seven. It's another Dallas Green draft pick that had almost a thousand at bats. Fuck you, John Madigan. Did he ever? Oh yeah, he played. He played in the world. He played in the World Series for the Mets. He got one at bat. Holy shit! And his. Wait. How about this? His wait. Was two thousand? Yeah. Right. Yes. Against the Yankees. How about right. this? The final games he ever played in his big league career, um, he batted twice. He got. Um, let's see. He didn't get a hit, but he scored a run. In the Atlanta Braves' loss to the Chicago Cubs in the two thousand and three NLDS. Wow. How about that? His, talk about your career coming full circle. He played his last game Match. in the playoffs against the team that drafted him. That was the last game he played as a professional, yep. you're saying? Wow. Um, I cheated and, and pulled up the Cubs roster. I saw two names I just had to mention before we're done here. Name check, because you pretty much covered them all. Chris Nabholz, which whom I remember more as an expo, I want to say. And how about Tanyan Sturtz? Oh, yes. He went on to become a White Sox, like a valuable White Sox reliever years later. But uh, he was a cup prospect that one of those guys that the beat writers would tease us with before we had, you know, full. Yeah, Tanyan James Sturtz. Uh, and 96 Cubs. In fact, he uh, finished 1-0 as a Cub in his career. Yeah, in both seasons with the Cubs, he had the same ERA, nine. That's right. I'm just going to give up one run every inning I pitch. Oh, that'd like, be 27. I don't know how val- how valuable was he for the White Sox. His career ERA for the White Sox was 872 in 11, wow. in 11 games. But he was on the 2000 White Sox. That's the team that won the division. Well, he's he pitching the playoffs? He pitched 10 games. He made a start. And his ERA was a cool 12.06. Well, maybe I confused it. He pitched for the Yankees as late as the uh, 2005 ALDS. So. He had, how about this? How about his season in 2001 with the, uh, or his 2002 with the Rays? He led the American League in one, two, three, four, five categories. He led the American League in losses, hits allowed, earned runs allowed, walks, and batters faced. Wow. Congratulations, Tanyan Search. You made their Hall of Shame. 
And a member of the 1995 Cubs. That's what he's probably most remembered for. Well, he should be. Uh, let's see. Does he have... He played on playoff teams, but I don't think he ever pitched in the No, playoffs. he pitched for the Yankees. Oh, he did. Three ups. And... Uh, yeah, not great. He p- pitched in a series where they beat the Twins. Because <laughs> that's what the Yankees have beaten the Twins in the playoffs. Right. About 47 times. All right, so what did we learn about the... Uh, the 1995 Cubs. Um, peak, peak Tribune management, like you, post two, after post Dallas Green. That's my take. If 50% of I mean, life is just showing up, they showed up yeah. until the second to last, until the very last day. They only played one meaningless game the entire season. Andy, how many Cubs teams in these 32 years can we say that about, right? Pretty much all of the playoff teams plus one, right? Because the the 2001 Cubs competed and died. The 2004 Cubs competed. At, none of them died on the penultimate day of the uh, of the season. So I guess you have to, in some weird, you know, short bus short bus version of you know qualifying this, give the Cubs their due for um, being alive till then, because you know. Hey, if you're alive, anything can happen. So, but it's a fact that they were alive. Uh, they were not eliminated till the last day, second to last day of the season, and that would put them in company with only uh, seven teams out of the 32 that we're covering. So I'll have a toast to the 1995 Cubs. I don't know about you. Sure. So if they had gotten into the into the playoffs. They would have faced the Atlanta Braves in the first round. Um, the Atlanta Braves would go on to win the World Series. That was their only year that they won it all. Yeah, I think the Cubs matched up pretty well against them, though. Uh, Maddox was 19-2 and two with a 163 ERA. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do this. Sometimes this happens. I know we've we've gone on for a while here. I have to refer you to one game. It just sprung to my mind. This is why we do this. Please go to a game. I'm going to find uh, an Atlanta game against the Braves in, uh, I want to say, either somewhere in August or July. It's at Wrigley Field, and it's on a Saturday. Okay? I just want to size up where the Cubs fans' psyche was. So I'm glad I thought of this. August 26th. Saturday, August 26th, okay? Okay. I'm going to go on memory. I pulled it up on baseball reference, but I'm not going to look at it right now. I'm just going to talk to you and tell you that I remember being in a bar on a Saturday afternoon watching this with some guys that I was playing softball with. And the Cubs, as we determined, were alive as late as August 26th. And, yeah, Greg Maddox had walked out and continued to, like, achieve more stratospheric heights. But we're not bitter about it. We're okay. We've got this guy, Steve Traxel. Yep. All right? This guy was the Sporting News Rookie Pitcher of the Year the year before. Granted, he was not having the best of seasons. But this is our guy. It's okay. You can have your fancy, you know, Leo Mazzoni manicured staff. You know, we're, we're okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to move on. And here it is. We're going to prove it to you, fuckers. Saturday, August 26th, Wrigley Field, Cubs and Braves. 
Steve Traxel, Greg Maddox. We're putting all this shit on the line. Steve Traxel proceeds to retire the first eight batters of the game. You can pull it up. I'm going to pull it up while I, while I, while I discuss it because I want to make sure I've got it right. This is, I'm going strictly off memory. The ninth batter in this sequence is Greg Maddox, who proceeds to get a single off of Maddox. Or, I'm sorry, off of Traxel. It's late. Steve Traxel then fails to retire another batter in the game. If you want, I'll drop the link in because it's pretty hilarious to watch, even from a... Yeah, he walks Maddox on a if, uh, full count. And well, he then, walked him. Or no, bad. sorry, sorry. No, that's right. I was bad. He gave up a single uh, on okay. a full count, and then he walks Marquise Grissom, gives up a triple to Mark Lemke. He walks Chipper Jones, gives up a single to Fred McGriff, gives up a single to David Justice, gives up a single to Ryan Klesko. Uh, he gives up five runs on five hits. Turk has to come in and get Charlie O'Brien to get out of it. That's it. That's it. And So um, I'm so glad I remember this just in the nick of time. Um, now I feel that we've discussed the 95 season. This more than anything, in my opinion, typifies this era of tribute ownership that we got this paper lion of Steve Traxel thinking that we can, you know, and again, it's not a meaningless game. Like the, the Braves are running off with their division, whatever they're going to the playoffs. They're already used to it. We're fighting for our playoff lives and we would still be alive for a month. And we go into this game, and we're going to prove it. Yeah, it's our turn. And it could not have been more spectacular that Traxel gave us a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. He gets the first eight batters of the game. Then Maddox's fucking self, of course, breaks it up, and Traxel doesn't retire another batter. To me, I kind of feel that typifies the whole Andy McPhail, the whole second half of the Tribune ownership, mediocrity by design, whatever you want to call it. It's it right there. Yeah. That the ninety five season for Maddox was his fourth straight Cy Young. And is in I think it's statistically greatest individual season. It like ranks up there, I it's, believe. Yeah, the ninety four and ninety five uh are pretty ridiculous. Um ninety four he was sixteen and six with a one fifty six ERA. He gave hundred and fifty hits in two hundred and two innings. Uh, he had an ER or ERA plus of two seventy one. Remember a hundred is league average. The next year, so now this year, 95, he's 19-2 and two with a 163 RA, only up 147 hits and 209 innings. Uh, in the two seasons combined, he pitched 411 innings and he walked 54 guys. Wow. Yikes. That's, of course, kids, after winning a Cy Young with the Cubs. Who could have seen it? This would have been the uh, third year of that five-year deal that he asked for. I mean, it was like, no matter what he was paid, it was so worth it. He really dropped off the next year. Uh, He was was 15 and 11, uh, but he finished fifth in Cy Young balloting. He finished second the year after that. He finished fourth and then third. Yeah, so he won four, and he came pretty close to winning seven. Uh, Yeah. But I just, yeah, I think I think pointing the arrow at that particular game just to me it just typified it. Greg was kind of the reverse Tanyan Sturts that year. He led the National League in <laughs> wins, winning percentage, ERA, complete games, shutouts, 
innings. And then uh, ERA plus, uh, lowest home runs per inning, lowest walks per nine, or yeah, home runs per nine, lowest walks per nine. And uh, for the first of three years in a row, the best strikeout to walk ratio in the National League. Anyone, uh, his fifth straight gold glove. <laughs> okay. Want to kick us when we're down. But I'm sure the Cubs would have, uh, Jaime would have outdueled them in the first game of the playoffs, and they would have put the Braves on their back feet, and it would have been the Cubs who ended up breaking that. It would have been, how about this? The 95 World Series would have been the Cubs beating the Indians, and then that, so 2016 would have simply been the rematch, and the Cubs would have won. 21 years apart. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I like this alternate history. Let's go with it. It's much, much preferable to, uh, the, the, just, the. Uh, mediocrity that was the 95 Cubs otherwise, in spite of the in spite of the fireworks of the last week of the season. Yeah, I just remember I was at my first real job, and um, Me too. could play that I was in, my office was in the basement of this building, but I could, uh, thanks to Mark Cuban, on, um, really? What was the name of his, uh, you know, he invented uh, internet on the radio. Right, but you Audio were actually listening on your computer. Called. Yeah, and right? I could listen to the Cub games on the computers. I couldn't get the radio; wouldn't the basement? You couldn't get a signal. So I was but close I could enough to, to him on the computer. I was working in the suburbs, close enough to Chicago, where the radio we had in the office could pick up Scott Bullet racing home with. I don't even know if that's accurate, but I know Scott. I knew Scott Bullet was involved, and he was multiple times. I do. Re- Tim I do distinctly remember. Never like being entertained by the run at the end, but never thinking they were actually going to make it. Like, That's my it point. Wasn't, like there wasn't any disappointment when they didn't make it. It was more like you couldn't believe that they kept not getting eliminated. Right. That's like, all they it just was. Kept stay- it's like, it was like an inexplicable NCAA tournament run. It was, it was like St. Peter's. You, <laughs> you knew they were going to win the national championship. Exactly right. And, uh, Right, yeah, I'm, probably, I'm sure that uh, Mike was terrible. He's no wait a minute at the end of this one. He won't hear this, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's a Purdue alum who's still crushed by the the Peacocks' uh, upset of them because it kept them out of the Final Four. Did you know this little bit of trivia? The Purdue Boilermakers have not been to the Final Four since before Gene Cady. Yeah, Cady never took him. Yep, it's been the closest 40- they came was. Uh... 42 Glenn Robinson, years. Glenn Robinson in 94, because I was in DeKalb. I remember rooting for them. Who was the other guy? Quanzo Martin, who was either a future coach. They were the 94 Boilermakers, but they only went as far as the final eight. So, or I'm sorry, elite eight. Sorry, Mike. Yeah. Sorry, Pusateri. You know, they don't have the proud postseason uh, history of the NIU Huskies, who've been to three NCAA okay. tournaments. Two, three, I believe. Oh, besides ninety-one and ninety-six, they also went in uh, eighty-two. Oh, I didn't know that. Coach John McDougal, your buddy. That was. Yep. I just remember Donald White. My buddy Carl Armato was a point guard guy. Uh, my okay. Friend of the family, Alan Rayhorn was their star big man. Yeah, I'm more good. of a. I'm more of a Donald Whiteside hitting the uh, three-pointer off the glass against Northern Iowa to win the, to get them into the Mid-Continent Final in 1991. If people are still listening, I'm impressed that you followed it this far for yeah. Mid-Continent early 1990s NCAA. But... We used to call it the Incontinent Conference. 
<laughs> yeah, I managed to miss both. I, they made it the year before and the year after I left. Yeah, you missed. Yeah, missed the TJ Lux era. Yeah. Uh, what could have been? All right. Well, uh, we gave the the '95 Cubs got much more attention than anyone should ever give them, but uh, it was fun. That, that's what we do. That's this podcast kind of like that season. It had some fun moments, and right, uh, <laughs> it never seemed like it was ever going to end, and then it just did. So. It's very apt. All right, well, we'll see you next week, Mike. Sounds good, Andy. Thanks. Many of us have herpes. 